look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Now, don't lie to them like you did last week. Mean it this time, all right? Hey, we're so glad that you're here. Welcome to Crossroads Church. My name's Sam. I have the great privilege of being the lead pastor here at Crossroads. And what that means is every single week, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus. And Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about, we wrote it on the wall if you need some help. And and so that means you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so if you forgot your Bible, we got you covered. You can just slip up your hand, whether you're here in the room in Buellton or you are gathered together at the Lompoc campus. And if you are, we are so glad that you are gathered. The church is about the gathering, not, not the steeple, but it's all the people, amen? And it's about all of us gathering together. That's what it means to be the church. And so we're glad if you are gathered with us at 213 North J Street in Lompoc. We are so glad that you're here. Thanks for letting us borrow Becca this morning. Uh, didn't she do an amazing job and some powerful words? Just making you more jealous at Lompoc. Pastor Tyler, we're so thankful for you. All that God is doing there in the city of Lompoc. We got great things ahead. I'm going to uh, kind of talk about that a little later. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn in your Bible. Uh, and we are in a series in the book of Genesis. But here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to the book of Romans. Now I'm going to tell a story from the book of Genesis. But I want to read a passage from the book of Romans. So... If you're new to the Bible, you can start in the, the right and turn left, and you'll find Romans much faster. You can go two-thirds of the way through, and you'll find some guys' names, Matt, Mark, Luke, and John. Then you're going to find Acts, and then you are going to find Romans. Romans 8, I want you to read with me um, uh, silent reading for you, uh, audible reading for me, uh, and uh, if anyone was confused about that. And uh, verse 18 of chapter 8, and you can say amen when you're there. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to fertility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirits grown inwardly as we eagerly await the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this we hope that we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes in what he sees. But if hope, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Let me read this again. Let me underline it. And we know that for all those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknow, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for your grace. We ask that you would help us to see that you're writing a big story. And oftentimes we get stuck on the page that we're living on, but help us see the author and the finisher of our faith. 
Help us today to see you more clearly, to hold on with hope, patiently awaiting. We thank you. We praise you. Thank you for our time together and the sweet spirit that we sense. We ask that you would help us, stir us, encourage us, and push us forward. And let everything we say and do bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. I want to tell you a story from Genesis chapter 37. We've been in the book of Genesis for some time, and we've been introduced to many different characters from Adam to Noah to Abraham and Abraham's son Isaac and his son Jacob. And we just last week talked about how uh, Jacob struggled with God and God changed his name to Israel, which literally means one who wrestles with God. And then we get to this story, this foundational story that kind of pieces all of Genesis together and pushes the entire narrative forward as we believe the Bible is one continuous story from beginning to end and finds its answer and its place in the person of Jesus. This particular story is a fascinating story. It's one you're going to want to go read. There's no way for the sake of time that I would have the opportunity to read and give you all of the complexity and details. But in prayer, I just felt like maybe this would be the sermon that I would lay before you today and encourage you, hey, go back and read this story. Begin to link all of the details. We would kind of look at the overview of this story. See, Jacob had 12 sons, one of those sons being Joseph. Joseph, whom he loved most of all because he was the son of Rachel, whom he worked for Laban for seven years, was tricked. The deceiver got deceived, and now he's married to these two sisters, Leah and Rachel. They both bear him children, and Rachel, being one of those, has a son named Joseph. Joseph was loved, and Joseph was special. Jacob loves him so much he gives him this this coat and if you grew up as a Bible baby and a felt board kid we would call him Joseph and the coat of many colors and uh, I like black so uh, I've probably been like thanks dad but no thanks Uh, but he gives him this this coat and this was a symbol a sign to make a garment that had multiple different colors if you know anything about printing you know anything about fabric making if you know about even the complexity of different companies who are trying to bring uh, fabrics and and clothing back to the United States one thing they find it's very difficult to make things of different Colors. We've even lost that art. So in this particular setting for Joseph to receive this particular coat, the complexity that went into this, and you can imagine what his brothers are thinking. In this particular story, Joseph is a dreamer. Joseph has these dreams, and in these dreams, he begins to see his brothers and even his mother and his father bowing before him. And it it causes an uproar in the family. You know what it was like when your younger sibling came in and said, listen, I have an idea. I am amazing more amazing than all of you. You know what little brothers are like, right? And I've been like, you've not been able to do it, but I'm going to change everything, and you guys are going to work for me. You're like, you don't say, right? You can imagine what this was like, even in this particular, even more so in this particular culture. Joseph has ideas, but he feels like this dream is from the Lord. He, he begins to share this with them. He, he feels like God has put something big inside of him, but he doesn't quite have the character to be in this position that he feels like God has called him to. Man, you can imagine what that's like. People who, who rise to power because of their talent and ability and their dream and their vision, but they don't have the character to keep them there. Many of us can identify that. Sometimes we think, man, God, I want this great opportunity. Man, I, I want this great success. And God's like, you need suffering. <laughs> right? You need, you need to go through some things. First, and that's exactly what happens with Joseph. Joseph's brothers uh, are interesting characters. And here's what you need need to know. Even these brothers, even, 
even the one brother that the Bible says will, that the Messiah will come from the line of Judah. There's a story that's kind of sandwiched in the middle of this thing that has to do with Judah and, and his decisions. And, and then even the brothers who something terrible happens to one of their sisters and what they seek out to do vengeance. I mean, it's a real story. It's a, it's a gritty story. It doesn't read like once upon a time. It doesn't read like far off in a distant land. It reads like this is what happened. And this is what we did about it. He's got brothers that have an edge to him. And he's got, a, he's got an attitude and he's got some confidence that's, that's led him to be cocky in front of all of his brothers. And he begins to run his mouth. And they say, if you keep it up, bro, something bad might happen to you. That's exactly what happens. They're off in the fields. They're tending to sheep. And Joseph's got the cush job. He's with dad. He's, he's being trained to be the manager. He's being trained to take over while his brothers are the laborers. And he's the younger brother. But he goes out to bring supplies to his brothers. His brothers see him a far way off. And they begin to plot. They say, let's, let's kill him. You can imagine. I mean, you, you, you think anger. Man, the anger of a brother the anger of siblings, what kind of evil, what kind of sin has crept into this family's heart? Here they are plotting the murder of their brother. Then one of the other brothers, Reuben, he he pleads with his brothers, no, let's just throw him in this pit over here. Let's throw him over here for a bit and and let's just let the wild animals, we can kind of, we kind of wash our hands of him. He'll die in that pit, but he's really plotting. He hopes he can, he can kind of stop his brothers from the murder of his other brother. And so he says, well, I'll leave him here in the pit and then I'll come back and get him and I'll return him to our father. And so he convinces him to put him into the pit. And they're starting to begin to plot of how they can get away with this. They even say, well, what's it benefit of us if we just kill him? Let's sell him. In this particular region, this area, these Egyptians are coming through in a caravan they go, man, what, what's it profit us? If, if blood is on our hands, we don't get anything from him. But if we could sell him, Reuben's off in the distance. He doesn't realize it. And by the time he gets back, his other brothers have sold his younger brother, Joseph, into slavery. And he is gone. Reuben begins to weep. What are we going to do? They come up with a plot. They take his coat. They slaughter an animal and they put blood on his coat and they bring it back to Jacob. And they tell a story of how a wild animal devoured their brother all along knowing that their brother has been sold into slavery. Man, talk about family drama. If you thought your Thanksgiving dinners were bad. This is one for the ages and a story that that grips and thousands of years later, we've been telling this story. Cartoons have been made about this particular story. This story stands the test of time, begins to show us what it's like to be human, to be in the mix of relational tension, family drama, and bitterness, and jealousy, and what happens when you give yourself over to this sinful nature. See, James says it this way, when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it produces death. And these desires that are fueled by jealousy and greed and envy, those desires when when be contemplated, when I don't change the way I think, when I don't repent, when I begin to harbor those against my spouse, when I begin to harbor those against my kids, I begin to harbor those against my neighbor, my brother, my business partner, listen, friend, don't be deceived when it grows into malice. And it can happen even to brothers, to siblings, those who are closest. The enemy can wedge in in places that you did not expect. So do not think you're not susceptible to the powers of sin. He crouches like a roaring lion, the Bible says, seeking whom he may devour. The story goes on. Jacob weeps the loss of his son. Jacob's story moves 
on, as if these two narratives are beginning to take place. The brothers and the dad with the loss of a son, a grieving father, and they move on. They're trying to make it, and they're having kids and grandkids, and they're trying to move on with their lives, although all the brothers have this secret lie that they all know that their brother was not, was not killed by an animal, but sold into slavery by them. And imagine what that family secret was like. Skeletons in the closet to live amongst that lie, one with another, looking if it's going to come up. Is it going to bring up? Keep your mouth shut. I can't hold this in any longer. Listen, buddy, it will be the worst thing that you ever did. Do you want to bring more reproach on our family? You want to bring more to our father? He's already grieving and wishing that he was dead himself. What would you hope? to bring. Joseph's story goes on. He finds himself as a slave in this man named Potiphar's house. Potiphar is an official under Pharaoh. And man, Joseph's a strapping young man. He doesn't, he doesn't complain, even though, let me tell you, if you thought there was anyone who had a reason to complain, being sold by your siblings, man, that's kind of top of the list. And so if you're beginning to measure out your life and you're complaining, here's Joseph. He finds himself. He's building character. He's heard the stories from his father, the faithfulness of his father. He even heard about the mess-ups of his dad. Now he wrestled with God, and now he's finding himself in a cosmic wrestling match, asking the question, why am I here? Maybe you found yourself in situations like that too. Joseph's finding himself, but he gives himself, whatever I do, I'm not doing it for Potiphar. I'm not doing it for the Egyptians. I'll do it to the glory and renown of God. And that's what happens. People begin to take notice. He, he has gravitas about him. He has a gravity about him. The way he handles, the way he does his work, even though he's forced to, there's something about him that everyone gravitates towards. Potiphar himself begins to notice He takes him from being just a slave and a ranch hand and someone just off to the side doing the labor and he makes him in charge of everything. Potiphar says, man, there's something about you, Joseph. I don't know what it is. And Joseph begins to put on display the glory of God through what he does and what he says. And it brings good to the house of Potiphar. I've heard this idea somewhere before. What he does and what he says, it matters what you do. And it puts a spotlight right front and center, but not on you. As a spotlight and a pointing, as it says, let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify God who is in heaven. He looks at Joseph says, man, I want you in charge of everything, but Potiphar's not the only one who's got an eye for Joseph. Potiphar's wife has now taken notice of Joseph. He begins to see, man, this is a strapping man, and he's in charge of things now. Now he finds himself in a scandal. He finds himself being falsely accused. Potiphar's wife plays a trick on him, wants to lay with him, and then tricks him. And then when he denies her and rejects her, she begins to go to Potiphar and lie and falsely accuse him. And now Joseph goes from slave to the head of Potiphar's house to finding himself in prison, being falsely accused. Man, can I tell you, that is not a good story. Right? Can you imagine... Man, when things seem like it's going well, here comes another trial. But Joseph stays faithful, finds himself for years in this prison. People have begun to forget about him, but then his character precedes him. Remember last week we talked about 
how your character is what you're known for, the things you do habitually. And it usually starts with how you think and what you say and then what you do and then what you habitually do. And, and those habits will become what people know you for. That's the character. And the character will carry you through the destiny and purpose that God has for you. So if you go, man, I got a character problem, you really have to realize you have a thought problem. You have, a, you have a mind virus. You, you, you have a thought life that you need to begin to change from your thoughts to his thoughts, from your ways to his ways. You need to stop arguing and say, man, I got a better idea than the God of the universe. You go, man, I, I, I ought to just try it. Change the way you think so that you do something different, which is essentially what it means to repent, to change the way you think so that you do something different. And see, Joseph does things a little different. He's not as boisterous, but his, his character is known. You ever, you ever met those people? They're good at things, but you're like, just, just settle down about that for now. Like, let somebody else brag on you, bro. Let somebody else bring it up. Listen, it will go better for you when other people notice. Young person, let, let, let me tell you, your work and your character will not go unnoticed. Stop complaining. Get to work and work on your character. And in due season, God will lift you up. You want a promotion? Stop feeling like you're entitled to that promotion and get to work. Somebody say amen to that. And so people know who Joseph is and his character. They know this thing about dreams that he has. That he has dreams and he's been known to interpret dreams. He actually meets a couple young lads in the prison with them and he interprets their dreams. And then they get let out of prison because they, they need a baker at one time and the Pharaoh needs a butler. And somehow he had these interactions. You don't know what one little interaction and you being faithful to what God has done for you might change the entire course of your life. And so one thing he does and how he treats people. See, oftentimes the lesson here is that, that he could have treated those in prison with him differently, but yet he values them. He sees them for who they are. Maybe they're falsely accused. Maybe they found themselves on the wrong side of accusation. And so I don't know somebody else's story, so I'll give grace and extend grace because I am in need of grace being extended to me. These two men get let out of prison and they find themselves with Pharaoh and now Pharaoh's being troubled by dreams. And these guys are going, I know somebody who can help. There's this guy I met in prison. Can you imagine speaking up and you're like, man, I know a guy, he's, he's, he's in the pen right now, but he, he, could help, he could help you out, Mr. President, right? Uh, his character is impeccable even though his reputation has been tarnished. See, here's what you, you got to realize. It doesn't matter what they say about you. It matters what you actually do. Oh, let me leave that for just a moment and let it set. It doesn't matter what they say about you. It matters what you actually do. No, that wasn't good enough. <laughs> they like stomp my foot and uh-huh, preach at you and get real southern on you and then you right like here's what first peter 2 15 says it says it is the will of god that by doing good you will put to silence the mouths of fools it is the will of god that's the king james version that's where i learned it in and it hits a little different right and then we softened it out it says it is the will of god that by doing good, you will put to silence the mouths of ignorant talk. If you're doing good, what can they say about you? And the lies will not last. Because the goodness and character will build up. What can they say? If you're always doing good, seeking to do what good, and you're not even deciding good on your own, you're saying, is this good to the Lord? Does it seem good to us and to the Spirit of God what we are doing? And if you continue to do that, it doesn't matter what the reputations, oh, that church, man, they're those people. Man, that's that kind of pastor. Man, he's got a southern accent, so you know where he stands, right? Like, no, just, ju just keep 
keep doing good and it will put to silence the mouths of fools. That's what they do. And now Joseph is being brought out of prison and he's beginning to interpret the dreams of Pharaoh. These dreams are powerful dreams. It's actually a warning sign of a famine coming. And it leads Joseph through these dreams to begin to suggest a a strategy for making it through this famine. And Pharaoh listens. Pharaoh listens. A wicked government confronted by the truth of God's word will pierce their heart and they will have a decision. And so don't count out. Don't point your finger. Don't look, well, that's that person and that's that politician. It wasn't my guy. It wasn't who I voted for. Here's what the Bible tells us in Jeremiah 29 and 11. Pray for those in authority over you for if they prosper, you too will prosper. Have you prayed for your president today? Have you prayed for your senator today? Have you prayed for our governor today? Man, Don't count out. Joseph finds himself with Pharaoh, and he begins to speak the truth. He begins to make a strategy. Why? Because his friends and his family live in this region. Now think about that. Think about Joseph caring for Egypt. You can imagine what it could be like. Man, I don't care if this whole place burns down. Look where they got me. Look what the system's done to me. Look where I find myself. He could become bitter and say, I hope the whole thing burns and everyone with it, especially my brothers who sold me into slavery. Yet that's not what happens. Goodness in spite of what's been done to him. Goodness in spite of the evil that's been done to him. He begins to give grace when none has been given towards him. He begins to give goodness when someone has wronged him. Man, the character that Joseph begins to put on display. And through this entire story, all of a sudden you sin. God seems to use difficult and dangerous and, and, and a down and out situation to Put Joseph in the right situation. He saves everybody. All of a sudden, Egypt's prospering. Egypt has food. Then you realize the other narratives going on. Jacob and his wives and their his sons and their kids and his daughters. They all live outside of the region of Egypt. And the drought and famine has have impacted the entire land. And now they go into Egypt to find food. And guess who's in charge of the food? And maybe many of you know the story. They go there and they don't recognize Joseph anymore. Some of the brothers come, but Joseph recognizes them. It's a fascinating story. The details become absolutely fascinating. Chapter after chapter is devoted to this particular story. It goes on and Joseph brings his brothers in and he tests them. He has a meal with them. Then he actually uh, sends back for his father. He, he gets in this negotiating situation with them the entire time knowing that he intends to do good to them and for them. Fast forward the story. Jacob is brought back to Egypt and it is revealed through the whole mess that his son Joseph, whom he thought was dead, is now alive. And Joseph loves them and cares for them. He forgives his brothers who have done horrific things to him. Beyond what we could possibly imagine, he finds himself in a moment where he can hurt them or help them. And all they've done to him is hurt him. You begin to see the parallels. You begin to see the principles of the kingdom of God undergirding this entire story. And what we celebrate is that Joseph doesn't get revenge against his brothers. 
what we celebrate, what we, we know to stand this test of time is that he forgives even the worst of sins against him. Think about in contrast to our culture, friends, there's four John Wick movies. Okay, I don't know if you know the plot of this. The only reason John Wick is so angry is they killed his little dog. And there are four movies of bodies that have been piled up in Hollywood because John Wick's puppy was murdered. And we as a culture celebrate that? Can I just tell you, if you're going to pick what storyline to follow, if you're going to pick what your life should be modeled after, if you're going to pick what you should emulate, it's not revenge, it's forgiveness. This is the story. And this is the story that God has left behind so that we would see the potency of when Jesus comes on the scene. See, in this Old Testament story only points forward. It's a foreshadowing. It's a type of the ultimate Messiah who would come and save everyone. And the parallels of Jesus and Joseph are immense. And he's falsely accused. He's betrayed for silver. Joseph was sold into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. The people that he came through, his friends, are the ones who rejected him and betrayed him. He's imprisoned. He's falsely accused. He suffers. But ultimately, it's in his suffering that we see his exaltation. Joseph's suffering is exactly what brought him to a place where he would be second in command of Pharaoh. And that's just a glimpse of what Jesus would do, that in his suffering, it would be his exaltation. See, what it teaches us is that sometimes our suffering is the very thing that shapes us. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that it's, that it's most, most often the difficult stories that are the stories that made you? If you ask someone who's been following Jesus for some time and you say, hey, uh, why is it that you're a person of character? Why is it you're a person of faith? Why is it that that you trust God? They're not going to tell you a good story. More often than not, they're going to tell you a difficult story. They're going to tell you a story of suffering. They're going to tell you a story of difficulty. And see, it's our suffering that shapes us, and it's his suffering that ultimately saves us. Paul writes in Romans, in a difficult time, the passage that we open this story with, he he goes, listen, I don't consider our present sufferings. I mean, Paul's been shipwrecked, and he's been beaten, he's he's been taken by the mob and thrown into a dungeon, suspended and contorted, and somehow in the middle of this dungeon, he's like singing Amazing Grace. That's not totally true. The song wasn't written yet. Singing praises to God somehow, somehow he... He's lifting up his voice and he says, listen, I I want to tell you something, that our present sufferings are not worthy to be compared to the future glory that God has prepared for us. Or in other words, he's saying, listen, right now you might be on a difficult page, but the story God is writing is so much bigger than the page you're living on. And this page finds its meaning in being connected to the person of Jesus. See, Joseph's story ultimately finds its place that he's a part of saving the family that will produce the Messiah. And their stories will be in and out of doing it right and getting it wrong and freedom and slavery till ultimately it shows us A group of people that are under the bounds of slavery like we are under the bounds of sin. That we are a slave to sin, the Bible tells us. 
and that we are controlled by it. And that ultimately we need liberated from it. So Christ comes, the king becomes a slave. He allows himself to live a selfless, obedient life unto death, death on a cross. And because of his death, he has paid our debt, our ransom to free us from the curse of sin, that we might be free to live the life that he's written for us to live. For he foreknew us and he chose us to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might look at you and no longer see you, but that he might see Jesus. Jesus. That's the story. That's where it finds meaning. And what you got to realize is that you may be in difficult situations, but you'll find purpose in pain if you'll connect your story to his story. You'll find purpose that pushes you forward right in the middle of difficult times and difficult seasons. And then we, we can be convinced that if we join Christ in his suffering, then we'll join him in his resurrected life. And our hope will not be put to shame. And we hope in the ultimate story. See, sometimes we get caught up on what's going on right now. Sometimes we get caught up on what's happening in the moment and we can't see the whole story. You ever been stuck on a page and you're like, I don't know how this is going to work out. And it wasn't till hindsight, it wasn't till looking back, you could see, I didn't see what you were doing there. That was amazing. Why was I so ticked off in that moment? <laughs> right, like there's some stories that that he works together and when I trust him and I see he's writing something and he's writing a better story than you can write, friends. I'm gonna give you an example. I didn't know how this was gonna work out. It was 2021 and it was right after you know, the height of the pandemic and we're still trying to figure out what we're doing and, and I have a, a, a lady in the church text me and she says, my, my husband, uh, he's... Uh, He's, he's sick, he, he had leukemia at the time, and, uh, and, and we're there, and she goes, hey, can you come to the hospital and, and pray for him? And listen, listen, and during 2020, like obviously like hospital, man, to be a pastor and, and, and trying to go visit someone in the hospital, which is a regular routine for a pastor and has been for years and years and years. And let me just say this, if you think I can magically know that you're in the hospital, you're wrong. But if you want me to pray for you, you want someone to visit you, like, we'll come pray. Like, that was a tension as a young pastor when I'd come. It'd be like, I don't know. Like, I don't have, like, some hotline to download. Like, we need a text message. Right? And then if you ask, notice that when Jesus went to pray for people, it wasn't just, he didn't show up, heard you were sick, just wanted to stop by. It's like, no, like, will you pray for me? And that was, that was, I wasn't just showing up. People, there were people in the hospital. My dad was in the hospital with COVID at one time. I almost died from it. I'm arguing with the doctors about the medicine. And, and like, I couldn't go. I couldn't visit. Now it's 2021. And, and Bob's got leukemia. And, he, and, he's, and it's not good. Sarah goes, hey, I want you to come pray for him. I said, will you just ask the administration and ask if we can even come? But if they say yes and you want me to be there, I'll be there. Next day, Pastor Tyler and I, and he's been on staff for a few months, so he doesn't quite know my personality just yet. <laughs> we show up to the hospital, and I go, hey, we're here to see Bob. And they're like, sorry, you can't see Bob. And I was like, uh, are you sure? Like, we'd like to talk to somebody. And the chaplain came out and talked to us for a little bit, and I, I was like, hey, man, like, I want to I pray for Bob, the family. They checked with the administration. They told us that we could come and be here. I want to I go pray for Bob. And he's like, well, let me go check. And he leaves and comes back, and he's like, I got good news. And I was like, yes, you'll be able to see him when he returns home. And I was like, I'm done talking to you. So I just started preaching a sermon to the front desk. I was like, how long are we going to do this, all right? Like, you can see Tyler's face. And right before I did that, I looked at Tyler and I was like, what do you got going on today? 
He's like, well, my wife's a nurse and she's working. And so I'm good for the duration. I was like, because I don't know what's about to happen. But I'm here for the duration. That just felt like, man, we're, we're, we're supposed to push this as far as we can. And I didn't know why. And I was just in the page. I'm frustrated, but God, like, I look at him and go, how long are we going to do this, guys? Like, what do you, what do you mean? And I go, man, like, I, I want to go see him. I'll put on the mask. I'll, I'll, I'll do the thing. Like, like I just want to go see him. You, you, got, you got people in and out. You got custodians. You got food people. You got people who just started a job yesterday, and they can go up, but I can't go up? They want to, they're asking me to, to pray. He doesn't have COVID. He, he's got cancer, and they're asking me to pray. Front desk lady is like, you know the rules. You're a pastor. You should know the rules. And what she essentially saying was, don't you follow Jesus? Just comply. And I was like, I follow Jesus, so I can. They asked me to pray. And I believe that if there's any sick among you, call for the elders of the church and we'll pray the prayer of faith and we'll believe that God healed. I'm just going to go with what he said. I just want to be faithful to what he said, no matter what it costs. I don't know if we're going to jail today, but I'm just going to be right here. Could I talk to, could I, could I talk to uh, the people? They're like, well, here's the, here's the rules. And, and the CDC said, and I said, the CDC didn't say that. That just is like a staple, like Christians used to use, like the Bible said, cleanliness is next to godliness. It doesn't say that. <laughs> so they learned it from us, okay? All right, we gotta get better at that, right? And, and, and so I was like, no, this is your hospital policy. Can I talk to the person who made this policy? They're like, you're not gonna talk to the board of directors. All right. Uh, then security came up and was like, well, is there a problem? I was like, you look reasonable. I'll talk to you. He wasn't reasonable at all. <laughs> I misjudged him completely. <laughs> and they're like, you got to leave. I was like, I'm here to pray for Bob. And so, so I walked out and I'm standing. I call, I call her. I go, hey, they're not going to let me up. She's like, okay, I'm making kind of, I was like, and we made kind of a scene. I'm sorry. Uh, but you knew who your pastor was when you asked him to come. And, and, and she said, well, we're making kind of a scene up here. And I talked to the doctors and the doctors were even like, yeah, it's kind of, kind of strict. And, and so uh, the chaplain comes back out and everyone's just like, everyone has a different answer. And I go, hey, listen, I just want to pray for Bob. And they said, well, you started talking about the Constitution, and you started talking about and I, and, and I was like, hey, I, we believe that, it, that if we pray for the sick, they will recover. Like, that's just what we believe, and, and I have the freedom to believe that. And you're stopping this man from, from practicing what he believes in. So when Paul was in Rome, he used his Roman citizenship, and he said, listen, hey, I, I'm going I'm to do everything I can to the letter of the law, and I'm going to push it as far as I can. I'm not, I'm not trying to make a political statement. I'm just here to pray for Bob. And then I get a call back from Sarah, and she's upstairs, and she goes, hey, uh, I asked the doctor, I was like, if he can't come up there, what stops us from bringing him down there? And I was like, that's brilliant. It's like the wisdom of Solomon. Like, I, I didn't even, I, like, like, I never even thought of that, right? And so then all of a sudden, one of the administrators comes out, and she's like, hey, we're going to let you up. And I was like, okay, and like, why did it have to take me making a scene? Like, why couldn't I just, I just want to pray for Bob. And, and, and like, we have this talk, and we're standing kind of like in the breezeway, like this large breezeway, they had asked me to stay outside. And I went back in one other time and I wanted to sit in the same seat that I was in. And they're like, you can't, I was like, I can't wait in the waiting room. I think they're, I think they're talking. I think something's about to change. And they're like, no, you gotta go back outside. So then I'm standing in the breezeway and they're finally going to let me up. And I, I, I look and she's like, okay, we're going to go up. I was like, you better check. Cause I think they're bringing him down here. And she's like, we're not going to let that happen. I kid you not, as soon as she said that, the back doors behind me opened up as they wheeled Bob past the door. And I'm telling you, a choir went off and doves went out. Of the, it was like, what is 
is this? Right? Are you kidding me? I'm t- that didn't, ha- it didn't, ha- it didn't happen. There was no choir, no doves, but I thought there was, right? Like it was, ah, like there was Bob. And I, and, and it was like the Lord just kind of have like, like just compelled me to just turn around and go out and pray for Bob. And I prayed for Bob and the chaplain and the person that was on staff that day just went back inside. And then we prayed for Bob and what would have happened in just this little hospital room with just a few people is now happening on the sidewalk in front of the entire hospital. People that are coming in like, what's going on? Why is this guy down? And we prayed for him. And then we told him we loved him. And we said goodbye. And the hardest thing, and I don't know what, I don't know what happened because it wasn't my desire. The hardest thing was I just walked back to my van and I left. What I wanted to do was go back inside and be like, did you see those doves? Right? <laughs> did you see what happened? Like, that was amazing. Like, but I didn't because... I was there to pray for Bob. And I prayed for Bob, and I did exactly what I was supposed to do, and I make a sin, and I didn't go, hey, listen, uh, you know, I'm gonna, and, and listen, you oughta, and, 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 and I told you, and I'm coming for you, you're gonna get in a lot of trouble now. No, I just left, and I didn't think anything else about it. I tell you that the story that I thought we were gonna have was, uh, that Bob would recover, Bob didn't recover, he died that, that summer. But I tell you, at his funeral that I preached, that he has seven children who love Jesus and were there and were celebrating their dad. And I got to say, I know you were believing for a miracle, but let me tell you, seven children who love Jesus is a miracle. Amen. And he did everything he was supposed to do. And, and what else could you ask for? I got to say that. But that wasn't the end of the story. I didn't know what all was going to transpire. It'd be months later, I get word that this, I, I, I told this, this sermon, I've only talked about this a couple times, but a, a month later, I, I told this, this story. And this sermon, this story got shared with different coworkers, and it ended up with the directors of the hospital. And then it got shared amongst some of the staff. And then two months later, I got asked to come, to come meet with directors at the hospital. And when I walked into the same people at the front desk and asked for the director, they're like, uh, this can't be right. <laughs> and I went to the conference room and, and I got to talk with them and I got to pray with them. And then what's really cool is one of those directors from that sermon has been attending on the online campus for two years. And she was at Good Friday service. And her kids were there. She didn't know I was going to tell this. I saw her name on there. We love you. It's amazing because you, you don't know that what your, your behavior, see, I wanted to go in, I wanted to make a scene, but that wasn't it. I was there to do one thing that I, God had asked me to do, and that's what we were committed to doing, and we not going to happen, and then we turned around and left, and that was the testimony. The testimony was that we were literally there to do what we said we were there to do, and then once we prayed with Bob, we left. And we allowed character. And I can imagine what people went home. You should have seen. There was a southern pastor at the hospital day. He was making, he was making a scene. No, they had to wrestle with, why are you guys doing this? We just want to pray with Bob. And when we pray with Bob, we left. So you don't know what one little thing, what one behavior, what one moment. You trusting God, doing what God, in a difficult moment, in a difficult situation, when you feel like the odds are against you and someone's attitude and you, you, want, you want to do what's natural to you, which is let them have it. That's what's natural to me. All you peacemakers in the room don't know what I'm talking about. And when you do that, when you're faithful and your character, all of a sudden God will write a story and he'll connect you with people and he'll put you a place when you're going to force your way in. I want to talk to the directors. Say, no, man, I, I don't know what to do. 
I'm just going to let God do the rest. I'm going to do everything I know to do. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be loving. I'm going to be forgiving. And then I'm going to let God do what only God does. And he'll write a bigger story. Keep being faithful. Keep working hard, friend. Stop complaining about your boss. Stop, stop trying to make sure that they recognize you. Stop, stop trying to get in and, and, and squeeze your way in because you might fight against the very thing God's calling you to do. I've had moments of that where these stories didn't work out quite like this. But I'm thankful that when we conduct ourselves even with confidence, even with truth, even if it causes a dust up, that our character and our grace and how we handle those conflicts, how we handle difficult situations, that God will take that and he will work together for good those who are called according to his purpose. For God is writing a big story, friend, so don't get stuck on the page you're living on. Trust him through the page because he's writing a big, beautiful story and you're a part of it. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for who you are and who you are to us. We ask for your grace today that you'd help us in difficult situations like Joseph live with the character that you've put in our hearts. Help us to build up the stamina with our thoughts, our words, our actions, and our character that will stand the test of time and that we won't use vengeance. We'll use forgiveness. We'll love and have grace. Because that's the thing that pulls this story together. That's, that's the thread that weaves all of this together is your love and your grace that you've called us to. Help us to see the author and the finisher of our faith and see him as good. And that'll help us with the page we're living on. We love you. We thank you. And everybody said, Amen. 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 Will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise?